For over 5,000 years of documented history, people have been using the cannabis plant as medicine. From ancient Chinese medical journals to the modern day dispensaries, cannabis and its many medical uses have found their way to every continent on earth. Today, as the prohibition against this plant is slowly being lifted around the world and our technological capacity grows exponentially, we finally have the opportunity to discover what this plant is truly capable of. Please join me, Matthew Myro, as I speak with the remarkable innovators working at the cutting edge of these discoveries. This is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine. Hello, beautiful people. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. I have been on hiatus and I appreciate your patience waiting for the show to come back and we are back. I moved around the country. I have reoriented some things in my life. There's been a lot of ups and downs and downs and ups and downs and downs and ups and I am definitely on an upward trajectory now and I can't wait to keep bringing you excellent content, amazing interviews week after week on this show so you can keep staying informed on cannabis medicine because that's what we're here to do. Whether it's a doctor or researcher or master cultivator, doesn't matter. As long as they are innovators in this space, I'm bringing their wisdom to you and keep pushing this industry forward. Cannabis is medicine. Don't forget it. But it's also wellness which we were reminded of by this week's guest, none other than Adam Bierman. Wow, what an interview. He shared so many incredible nuggets of wisdom, not just for the cannabis industry, but definitely for the cannabis industry, but also for life in general. He's been through the ringer, and he's come out on top, and I can't wait to share his wisdom with you. So without any further ado, please enjoy this interview with Adam Bierman. Hi, I'm Matthew Myro, and this is the Edge of Cannabis Medicine podcast. And today I am joined by Adam Bierman. And if you're at all involved with the cannabis industry, it would be hard not to know of Adam. He was a budding entrepreneur from a very young age, and along with Andrew Modlin, founded MedMen in 2010 in California. And with that company, MedMen, which probably you've heard of, he was able to usher in a brand new paradigm within the medical cannabis industry. And Adam has been no stranger to controversy over the years. And in 2020, he stepped down as the CEO of MedMen, and he remains an active voice in the cannabis world. And I am so excited to hear about that activity currently and maybe get some stories in between. But Adam, thank you so much for being on the show. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that intro, man. Appreciate it. Excited to be here. Great. Great. So we talked about maybe diving in with Ohio because that's where I currently am residing, Um, but maybe we'll get to it in just a little bit. So I'm really curious as diving into everything that you were doing and all of the things that happened with MedMen, the thing that stuck out most to me was what a pioneer you were for the industry and all of the firsts that MedMen became because of the chutzpah that you had to be able to push things forward. So would you mind sharing a little bit about how that played out for you? What were some of these firsts? And, and for me, I'm curious mostly about your mindset as you were pushing, pushing, pushing in all these different directions. Yeah, I, I think I, I acknowledge that, right? And I think it's just, yeah, as I look back and I, I try to be introspective and learn from the last chapter of my life as I look forward to what's next, you know, you 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 label it chutzpah and, you know, it's such a flattering, you know, label and I'm, I'm filled up with like appreciation for that. Um, and I think you could label it a lot of things and, and some of those things are positive and some are negative and some are controversial and some are offensive and some are sad and some are scared. There's a lot that goes into what that is. Um, but I think that, you know, looking back now with the perspective that I have, you know, I understand how me, Adam, that character at that time, right, had all those particular pieces line up in a way where I was able, you know, with a lot of other people, you know, supporting it, you know, I was able to knock down a lot of these, you know, walls, right. Um, 
uh, and move, you know, what I was doing, what MedMen was doing, and then what the industry was doing forward. I think it's very important, though, you know, if we're ever any of us are ever lucky enough to play a part, participate or witness, and a lot of us have witnessed, right, a, a shift in the, you know, the in, in the way in which our society, you know, functions or the value sets in our society, if we can, <clears throat> if we're ever a part of that, right, I think that's special in and of itself, but you have to understand that you're never there alone and you're never in it because of your own doing, even if at some point you become the tip of the spear of something and then there's always what's next in it, right? So you're just a part of it. And so I, I am so lucky that I got to be a part of, I'm still a part of, and at a certain point in time, I was the tip of the spear, right, in this process to shine the light on the good in cannabis, right? Um, yeah, I, I talk about, you know, people were protesting the Vietnam War and they were protesting the fact that cannabis wasn't legal. I wasn't born yet. I had nothing to do with that. There was no decision in that, um, you know, and all the people that came after that and, you know, many of whom had success, many of whom failed, many of whom we know, many of whom we don't know. But we have to have an appreciation that this shift that we're all living through right now is a consequence of decades of work. And yeah, I mean, during that time, that that young man with chutzpah or that young man that was naive enough or that young man who had been exposed enough to certain things in their life that made them make certain decisions was able to take a lot of that work and, you know, push it through, you know, or push it over the wall or through the door, whatever analogy you want to make to, to get us to the other side of where we are today. Um, and I'll forever be grateful for, for being able to have participated the way I did in that. Yeah. Well, you were a big participant. And you know, one thing that I was seeing and reading about you is that you caught a lot of hate for predicting the corporate future of cannabis. And it, it was a prognostication as far as I'm concerned, but it seemed like at the time, nobody wanted it to go that way. I mean, just for a little background, I've been involved in medical cannabis since 2004, um, working with the ba Berkeley patient group and then with Harborside uh, growing clones. We delivered clones and Queen Bee clones. It was very successful. We had an amazing run, um, got to work with the largest dispensary group in the country, but it was very much a mom and pop sort of organization at that time. And that was kind of how it was sprinkled throughout California. But you saw this corporate movement coming. Was that part being like a Nostradamus and part also trying to push the agenda of MedMen? Like, how did that work out for that young man at the time? Well, I was all those things, right? So I, it's as, as many hats as I might have been wearing at any one point in time, I was me wearing all those hats. And what's sad, but I understand, right? I was never really me, right? I was always whatever that hat was, right? So it was moving the agenda forward of an industry, right? Of a company. And then personally, right? We, we started MedMen, I started MedMen as a young kid with nothing. Um, so moving my personal forward, moving the company forward, moving the industry forward. And I'd love to talk to you since this is medical cannabis, you know, I'd love to talk to you about what you did up, up in Northern California. Um, I had a life-changing moment um, and a career-defining moment up there actually early on, um, without which, you know, I wouldn't have made the same decisions I did. So let's put a pin in that too. I'd love, I'd love to come back to what you did with Berkeley Patient Group. And I don't know if you worked with Sean up there and obviously at Harborside and um, uh, my, my interesting relationship uh, where I have all the respect in the world for the D'Angelo's uh, and the utmost for Andrew. Uh, and I think, you know, Steve said some controversial things about me over the years, but, you know, let, let's definitely talk about that because I think this, you know, medical, recreational, wellness, the mixture, what it really means, what the politics are. I think there's so much we can talk about um, up there. But back to, you know, the hate. I understand it now, right? Um, the time in which I came in to be this person um, was a time in which our society was ready to shift, right? And it was ready to at least be okay saying, that marijuana, cannabis, you know, can have positive attributes and is non-addictive and all the other things that we've all known for so long, but we weren't willing to say, right? Um, we were finally there and we were finally in a place ready for mainstream media for the profit, right? The TV show, The Profit, to show up at the MedMen West Hollywood, 
right? And, and essentially bring cameras in, right, to a reality TV show on, you know, prime time. So essentially to the world, right, bring cameras into this future where marijuana is accessible and destigmatized and legal, right? Um, that wasn't because we built that MedMen store. That was because everything led up to being ready for that to happen, right? So all that being said, do we catch a lot of hate? Of course we did. Well, why is that? That's because, you know, to be the tip of the spear and to be the one pushing, you know, through or over that wall, right? You're changing, right? You're the final instrument of change. And anytime any change happens, there's hate, there's opposition to that change, right? And so if in certain moments, you know, I'm the instrument or MedMen's instrument for that change, and then I'm the spokesperson, by way of what our roles were at the time, right? I'm the spokesperson, you know, uh, with the megaphone to the world saying, hey, are you paying attention to this change that we just effectuated? Because if you were, you would realize that, you know, cannabis and the legalization of cannabis is not going to burn the streets down. Um, it's going to make your world safer, healthier, and happier. And are you paying attention to what just happened? Well, obviously, if you're going to stand on a soapbox and yell stuff like that, you know, as the person I was, there's going to be, hate. that's all good. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, anytime there's a shift and, and anytime there's change, what happens is, you know, there's a new opportunity that's created and old opportunity dries up. And so a lot of hate is thrown at you from behind, right? With people that are participants that won't make it into the new opportunity and will left, be left ultimately behind to the opportunity, which was already dried up, Right. Sure. I had no hand in drying it up. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a fool's thought, right? That, that began so long ago. That's a result of the fact that cannabis is so beautiful, right? That dried up because there's too much demand. It's too big of a business to stay that way. It was only that way because, you know, of this, you know, hypocritical drug law or these hypocritical drug laws, right? These insane, asinine, backwards, repressive, you know, drug laws. That's the only reason that, you know, that could thrive for some very short period of time. Cannabis is too good. It's too important, which means people want it, which means they'll pay for it, which means in today's society, it's, it's a big industry. Yeah, it sure is. And there's... There were so many different stigmas that we constantly have to break through. And the one that was carrying the industry forward, especially in California in the early days, was the stoner stigma. And these mom and pop shops were holding on to that. They were making sure that it kind of was like, oh, we're all stoners, so we love to get together and hang out and blah, blah, blah. But in order for it to move forward, the only real way for it to be able to grow as an industry was more regulation, more standardization and more opportunity for, for growth in a corporate way, if you will. And it, MedMen was at the forefront of that, the creating a brand new experience for being able to purchase your cannabis, purchase your medicine at the time, you know? So I guess what I'm trying to say is I really appreciate the advocacy that you've been doing over the years. And that's a way to move into Ohio, because I'm currently living in Cleveland, Ohio, just moved back here after being gone for 18 years. And so before we were recording here, you were telling me about some of the work that you were doing as an advocate, trying to get the laws pushed forward here in Ohio. And just as an aside, before I want to hear all about that, but I remember being a freshman at Ohio State University, 1997, signing a petition for the legalization of medical marijuana. And that was 97. So it took almost 20 years before it happened, but it happened, which is incredible, which goes to speak to all the people that have been involved in this for so long, trying to make sure that this medicine gets to everybody. So sorry, please tell me about Ohio. I'd love to hear more. Ohio has a very special place in my heart. Um, very special. Uh, let me, let's, let's shed some light on a story that hopefully will be inspiring and also be informative and be useful as we continue to push this ball forward um, in regards to, you know, ending prohibition uh, for once and for all. So um, I remember being in Las Vegas uh, and it was November of 2015. And I was there at the uh, MJ Biz Conference, which at the time, uh, that year it was at the Rio Hotel. 
and it was at the Rio, and it was a it was a huge deal that it was at the Rio because none of the hotels would allow the conference, even though the, we weren't selling marijuana or using cannabis on site. The fact that it was a cannabis conference, even though business conference, none of the hotel casinos would allow it, but the Rio allowed it. Um, that only lasted one year, by the way, and then the next year it wasn't allowed anymore. Um, and subsequently, it ended up moving down to the convention center. It's very successful now. It just sold, actually. Um, but it wasn't as big of a deal back then. Anyways, so we were at the Rio, um, and I'm, I'm walking around, and I'm having a conversation with Rob Campia, um, who is the founder of Marijuana Policy Project. And if you don't know who he is, um, and you care about this war on um, uh, ending prohibition, uh, you should know who he is. Um, but he is the founder of Marijuana Policy Project, without which, you know, we would have, we would not be where we are today. Um, uh, and they were the first lobbying outfit in D.C., um, which, you know, took this issue seriously um, and had effect um, uh, and, and affected change um, at, you know, the federal level and most importantly, figured out the ballot initiative process as the way to change state law. And then in Colorado, shock the world by legalizing adult use cannabis when nobody was watching. Anyways, so I'm, I'm walking around the conference and I'm having a conversation with Rob and we're talking about the states that he's focused on. And he's complaining to me about Ohio. And he's complaining to me because he says, you know, these individuals from the state of Ohio a year earlier had come to him and said, can you help us legalize in the state? He said, yes, I can. But we have to run a fair process in giving out the licenses, and we have to do medical first. That's how it's going to work. We cannot go and ask people at the ballots to legalize adult use and medical at the exact same time. And unfortunately, those individuals did not heed Rob Campia's advice, because who is he? Just the person that figured out how to actually get something like that done. Um, and they spent, I think, in excess of $20 million on a campaign to legalize through ballot initiative, recreational and medical marijuana at the same time, but it would only be able to be housed on sites, on land parcels that were pre-selected. And obviously the people that were behind the $20 million um, uh, uh, to run the campaign, they had already purchased or had options on those pre-selected sites <laughs> where the marijuana would be grown, manufactured, and ultimately sold. Um, and I don't know if you were in Ohio or you weren't in town, but do you remember when they ran the campaign, they had like a, um, uh, they had a mascot that was running around Ohio getting on the news and stuff. Do you remember this at no, college campuses and stuff? I wasn't in Ohio at the time. Okay. Um, I mean, it was, it was crazy. And, and these people, you know, and, and the head of the group and, and they just didn't want to listen. And Rob was complaining. Um, anyways, it failed miserably. But as, as we're having the conversation, I said to Rob, hey, you know, I, I have a couple of friends in Ohio, you know, that are interested in, in, in marijuana. We, we, should, we should all sit down. So we end up sitting down with a couple of the people that um, unfortunately invested in that failed initiative. And Rob said, you know, 2016, we can legalize medical marijuana in Ohio. I've been telling you guys that there for years. And we can do it for, I think at the time, the number was five five million dollars, five to seven million dollars, if it has to go all the way through um, uh, uh, November, meaning if, if nothing changes before, it'll have to go through. People will have to vote. We have to pay for media. It'll be five to seven million, something in that range. Um, and these people had, you know, they're about to go blow 20 plus on a failed initiative. Uh, and these guys say, well, that, you know, that makes good sense. And I say, guys, you have so much invested already. So anyways, we go back to Ohio and we start having conversations with people in that state that are serious people that want to see, um, you know, uh, uh, marijuana uh, legalized in the state. Um, and we put together uh, between Marijuana Policy Project, um, understanding the politics, uh, me understanding the business and these participants, uh, business people, investors in Ohio, um, having the passion to see their state make progress. Um, we started probably in earnest uh, early 2016, um, raising the money and also writing the language, um, creating the framework for the medical marijuana program, a framework that would be viable from a business standpoint, a framework that would be positive for the patient base, you know, a framework that would be fair, you know, um, and understood by the public, a framework that would work, right? So we started working on that. We started doing the politics. We started infusing the capital. 
Um, we raised the money to, uh, to gather the signatures. And before we knew it, it was over. And here's where the story gets even more interesting. Um, I, I forgot, you know, how many months in we were to this, but we had definitely collected the signatures. I'm guessing uh, we were somewhere, we were definitely less than half of the money that Rob thought we were going to need had been, uh, had been deployed. Um, and a deal was made. Uh, and in 2016, the backdrop was it was a presidential year. Um, it was an election year. And the RNC was having its um, convention in Cleveland. You know, as far as I was concerned, and there were lobbyists and people working at MPP, and then there were full-time uh, lobbying people that were working for us in, in this initiative, but a couple phone calls were made, and it was like, oh, we basically have a new medical marijuana program in the state of Ohio. And in order to avoid, you know, that being a topic of discussion as a backdrop to the Republicans' big national you know, party, um, they just got rid of it. They knew it was inevitable. They knew it was going to happen, right? The polling was too good and, and what we had put together was too strong. And so better to get it, you know, make it something they could be okay with and off the plate versus something they were debating while trying to, you know, win the White House. Um, and so Ohio, where you sit now, uh, I believe is the fastest state from, you know, beginning of, you know, efforts on an initiative to medical marijuana program in the history of our country. It's awesome. Thanks for doing that. And my parents, well, thank you. Their <laughs> patients and, and my mom's had less anxiety and sleeps better than she has in years since she's become awesome. a patient. So, I mean, so thanks for your help with that. I know she well, appreciates it. Well, there you go. Right. That's, that's how we all in our own way are participating, right. In bettering our lives in the world through legal weed right now, your mom tells someone else and through this podcast, they hear about your mom and they understand that maybe somebody even older than you or us, you know, would still be proud to say I use cannabis and then their mind changes. Right. So, you know, what may have happened as some piece of politics against the presidential election and all the nonsense, right? Look at what good comes out of that, right? Your mom now has legal access to cannabis. Yeah. Well, and you do too, obviously, but obviously. we all, right? Like, and so it, it's, it's something that we're all, we're all a part of and it's awesome to be in it together. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit here. The conversation around wellness and medicine. And so obviously the adult use, we want to end this prohibition. And there's a lot of talk about legalizing medical marijuana first in a state as a stepping stone just to recreational or adult use. But I feel like that's the wrong side of the conversation. I mean, the real conversation for me starts around medicine and wellness and the conversation between those two camps with, with doctors and pharmaceuticals and health practitioners and nutraceuticals and I don't know, where do you land in this whole topic? Just trying to be as honest as possible every single day that I look at, you know, this question. And so that doesn't mean, yeah, that means every day, my, you know, my answer should get a little more refined or sharper, or I should have more conviction, right? Because um, it's a question that's been, that's been, you know, asked of me, and it's something in my mind almost since the beginning, right? Because if you look at the way that this industry has grown up, it's grown up under the pretense of medical. And if you look at, you know, where we play this role to start saying, you know, forgive the language, but fuck the stigma, right? The medical pretense by those right before me was something that was felt to be necessary in order to have a voice. And I'm not here to judge that, right? Because it's all you know, a chronology and a process. Um, but, you know, I remember that before it was me on television, you know, uh, uh, with the suit on, right? Uh, uh, to some extent, it was Steve uh, D'Angelo. And I remember when Steve D'Angelo went on, uh, who was the horrible monster that was uh, on Fox News, um, uh, who ended up uh, getting removed, oh, but he was oh, the top hot dog. Bill O'Brien. Bill, Bill, Bill O'Brien. Oh, oh, uh, Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was booked to do Bill O'Reilly 
uh, the month that he got, uh, you know, he left based on uh, the Me Too stuff. So I finally was, I had my, I was so excited. And then the show was canceled like three weeks before I was on. Um, but that's another story. Uh, but I remember Stephen Andrew uh, going on Bill O'Reilly, right? And this is right as I'm about to become, you know, the kind of de facto spokesperson. And, you know, we moved to the next kind of, you know, phase of the evolution of this industry. But that was the peak of Steve's, you know, being the spokesperson. And Bill O'Reilly called them stoners or asked them why they use cannabis or whatever. And Andrew says, you know, Bill, I have glaucoma, right? And so, first of all, that's true. Andrew does have glaucoma. He wears glasses. He's the hippest dressing dude in history. Um, and the glasses are part of the whole getup. And I love it. And I wish I had his style and flair. They're real glasses, though. Um, and he does have glaucoma, right? But I guess the point where I'm looking at this stigma or the shame is... You know, um, I would then go on television two years later, three years later, four years later, and I get the same, you know, kind of questions. And my response to that is, um, well, yeah. <laughs> and, and do you have a drink when you go to when you go home at night? Because a lot less people, you know, get high, you know, drive aggressively, you know, beat up aggressively other people, destroy their own internal organs. Um, a lot of people do that less on marijuana than they do on alcohol. And you're a user of alcohol, right? Don't fucking judge me and don't judge my customers, right? Don't judge my patients. But we were still in a place right before us and me where maybe the world wasn't ready. Again, I'm not ready to judge that. It's just where we were, where our industry, the people representing stoners or representing those that understood the power and the good in cannabis, they weren't ready to talk like that. So you had to, they felt the need to hide under this pretense of medical. Whoa, don't talk like that. I have glaucoma. How about don't talk like that for any other. Don't talk like that because we live in America and don't tell me that, you know, cigarettes are legal, but weed's not and have your nonsense. I'm paying taxes for you to fight. A yeah, you can use all of that. Or, hey, it's 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 been proven that cannabis actually does all this positive stuff, you know, physically, you know, pick any of those. But, you know, for me, but the generation before me, it was here's my medical marijuana card. I have this. So I'm protected. Don't make fun of me. Right. Um, and then it moves on right to us. So we're advocates. I'm an advocate of wellness. Here's what I here's what I fundamentally believe. Um, I am fully vaccinated, triple vaxxed with the booster the whole way. No, yeah, no shame and no judgment against people that aren't people that are halfway. I don't care. That's who I am. Right. The companies <laughs> that made those vaccines are the same companies that ultimately, if I am struck with a horrible disease and I need a pharmaceutical drug as a complement to a surgery or in lieu of a therapy or whatever it is to eradicate my body of some invader, right? I am going to a medical professional and they are giving me a, you know, pharmaceutical grade drug. The same companies that put these shots in my arm are gonna be using cannabis to make that drug. And as the person that will be the recipient of that drug, that is how I want it. Because as much as I love and appreciate what you did in Northern California, bringing your clones to those places and serving patients, and actually there were really sick people that relied on those dispensaries just to be able to get out of bed. To me, that is a bittersweet tragedy. It is sweet in that it shows the best that humanity has to offer. Look at people in this community trying to help each other, even in the face of the repression, you know, that is this set of laws or this government or whatever it is. These are people that in through love, through this plant are trying to help each other. It's so sweet. It's bitter because are you kidding me? That is where, as Americans in 20, whenever that was, right, 2016, 28, whenever it was, that's where we had to go, not only for us, but for our children, when they were sick and they were in need of the same type of advance in technology and intelligence and infrastructure and just access to capital that those huge, you know, uh, pharmaceutical companies have access to. Because they weren't allowed to use this amazing plant to make drugs, right? That's tragic. So make no mistake, it's never been any different. Um, it's just the realization from those that are participating while those 
big pharma companies can't, that they're playing a role for today, right? And that role is something we should all appreciate, but they should want to be out of that role as quickly as possible. Now, where does that lead us? That leads us to wellness, right? Over 90% of people in the United States that use cannabis say they use it for chronic pain. You know what that is to me? That's wellness. If you hurt, if you don't feel good, I don't care if you say my knee hurts, my back hurts, my soul hurts, my spirit hurts, you know, I hurt. People using cannabis feel better and allows them to go express themselves and live their best lives. That's wellness. Now, the cool part about this is, let's say that's over 90% of the people that today use cannabis, right? Like, I think there's a future where most people use cannabis and over 90% of those people will use it for wellness. And for those people, it is incredible, right? That the companies and the growers and the shop owners and the master, you know, extractors and all those people are out there moving and shaking and jiving and creating really cool shit, right? For those people to, you know, ingest and consume and participate with to live their best lives. That's beautiful. That's wellness, right? And that's where we all fit in this thing. Let's not fool ourselves. The other 10%, that's just sitting there, no problem. As soon as it's, you know, uh, rescheduled, descheduled, all that stuff happens, they'll play. And thank God, because they're sick kids and they're sick parents, you know, and those people deserve, you know, the same uh, a benefit that all of us have with this shot in our arm, you know, when it comes to what this plant could do to help them. Yeah, 100%. Man. That's great. And I know that you did a lot of advocacy for children with epilepsy and working with mothers of, with trying to bring cannabis to mothers so they can take care of their kids. Like how, how did you get involved with all that? Well, no, I, I can't take credit like that. I don't want to okay. say I did a lot of work. Okay. Um, uh, we, we, we definitely had a partnership with the Canna moms and the Canna moms are definitely were, a, are a group of mothers that changed my life and changed my perspective. Um, period. Um, and it actually all did kind of take place up in Northern California. So without knowing it, you asked a question that connects to your last question. So that's pretty that. cool. <laughs> um, but, uh, but it's a great, it's a great story that I'm sure not, nobody knows. Uh, it's a great story. And it is, it's the exact like real life example of the soapbox I just got off uh, about this lying um, about what, you know, what cannabis is and what it can do and who should be producing, you know, what different um, uh, delivery methods. So anyways, that story is that um, I was down in Florida uh, for some cannabis conference and I'm, this is mid 2000, this is 2015, I'm guessing, um, but somewhere in that range, 14, 15, maybe. Uh, so I'm down there and I give this, you know, presentation. I don't even know what it was about. And this woman grabs me and says, Hey, uh, me and my friends want to talk to you. Um, and I end up sitting down with this group of mothers. Um, at a table, uh, you know, off to the side while this conference was happening. And they start telling me their story, right? And these are the moms, And their story basically is that, you know, they all have kids that have their own um, ailments, diseases, afflictions, uh, where, you know, traditional uh, available medicine um, is not helpful. And cannabis, um, it has been said, could be. Um, and you talked about epilepsy, right? We talk about your vets and, uh, you know, you talk about epilepsy. We talk about brain tumors. We talk about just some really horrible stuff. And then, you know, you, you are hearing these mothers talk about it and they're talking about it, not, only, not about themselves, but about their children. Uh, and so, you know, they tell me the story and, and, and the, they go on to say, you know, that they saw the first weeds documentary uh, or weed documentary that Sanjay Gupta did. Right. Um, and what a, what a great what a great, you know, uh, uh, a thing that was for society, for Sanjay Gupta to do a documentary where he says, wait a second, weed may be okay. It may even be good, right? Talking about moments in, you know, in, in this history, um, you know, as we move to end prohibition. Um, but anyways, you know, in many ways too, the, the documentary is very misleading. Uh, and so um, basically these, these moms had, you know, been figuring out how to save up enough money to pack up their cars and to drive and move or, you know, show up in Colorado and, and get on a waiting list for Charlotte's Web, right? 
Um, and uh, I hope I'm not aging myself or in this game too long. You know, everybody still knows what that is, right? But from a mainstream standpoint, right, uh, uh, they did the documentary and the Stanley brothers in Colorado had a CBD heavy strain um, uh, that they named Charlotte's Web after this little girl, Charlotte, who I think she had Dravet's. I think that's what she had. Um, and it, it essentially stopped her seizures, right? Um, and so the hope that that gave, you know, these moms, uh, and unfortunately, as they sat there in front of me, it, it didn't work, right? Of course, it didn't work because it wasn't, you know, Moderna or Pfizer that was trying to help these kids, right? It was, you know, this amazing plant was being grown with all this love and great intention. And then, you know, the oil of it was being administered to people with all different kinds of diseases and ailments who all were hopeful that it was going to solve the problem. And there was nobody being honest that that's what was going on, right? And so these moms were, were wanting help because without, and they didn't, and, and you know, these moms, they didn't care about breaking the law. They didn't care that they got in their cars and drove their kids and tried to use cannabis. Like without that, there were, it, that was their last option. Um, and so they asked me for help. Uh, and uh, uh, we ended up, we, Andrew Modlin and myself, um, we ended up, uh, taking those families, flying them up to Northern California and putting them up um, in a motel across the street from Harborside. And, uh, uh, and it was in partnership with Andrew, who, again, I have just so much respect for, uh, Andrew D'Angelo, who ran Harborside. And we put these, the, these families, these, the, these moms and their kids up uh, uh, at this motel. And then Harborside's deal was people that worked with Harborside, not unlike yourself, but the people that were actually making oil would show up on a daily basis and they would experiment with dosage. And um, we, you know, helped to coordinate, you know, all of that to happen. And I think they were there for three weeks, maybe two weeks. Um, and when they left, there was a girl that was, you know, preteen. Um, that was one of the kids. And um, when she showed up, she was, basically in a catatonic state in a wheelchair. And I had lunch with them when they left and she was sitting up uh, with us eating lunch. Wow. Um, there was a kid that came on that trip who was not enrolled in school because they had so many um, uh, seizures a day that they couldn't be in class. When they went back home, uh, they went back to school, right? Like just the, the, the crazy stuff happened yeah. on yeah. this trip, right? Um, and, it was, and it was that experience that, you know, took my, my connection to cannabis to a whole nother place. Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm excited. So, you know, you talk about the travesty that we had to enter into the industry through the medical lens, but it also gave us the opportunity to, to realize the pharmacy that this plant is, you know, whatever the 130, 140, 150, whatever, phytocannabinoids and then all the flavonoids and terpenoids and how everything all mixes together. And I, I truly see like a, a whole third range in, in this world, right? You're going to have the adult use recreational folks doing their thing. Then you're going to have like traditional pharmaceutical medicine. But I see this little middle path where cannabinoid medicine becomes its own thing. Once we are to biosynthesize each individual cannabinoid, and add different terpenoids and be able to formulate these different things for different diseases. I kind of see it as being its own branch of medicine as we get into the future, I don't know, 10, 15 years. What do you think? I think we're saying the same thing just differently, right? I, I think, you know, and, and one, when we say the United States, let's, let's, let's be, let's understand how this has all transpired, right? When we say the United States maybe had to, you know, go through this process to legalize under the veil of medical in order to get to decriminalized adult use, you know, accessible, you know, cannabis for responsible people. Um, and if that's what we needed to go through to understand this, I would just call out um, that we didn't have to go through that to understand any of this because this research exists. It, you know, this research exists in other parts of the world. Um, and all you have to do is look to our neighbors to the north in Canada, and they've legalized marijuana for adult use for the entire country. 
So, you know, we fool ourselves because we want to think that America is the most progressive place with the most, you know, progressive social outlook. Like, it is just not true. And when it comes to drugs, it's one of the most repressed places, right? Um, or, you know, I shouldn't say that. That's not true. Um, it, is, it is not as progressive as we give it credit to be, right? So we didn't need to go through this whole game just to prove to ourselves it wasn't going to burn down our society, people weren't going to be zombies, and, you know, actually this plant has power. Sorry, so I put that aside. Um, keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. No, um, just was curious. Oh, so 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 we we think yeah we think yeah. so. Look, you're going to have pharma weed, whatever you want to call that, right? GW Pharma's already doing it. Other pharma, you know, pharma companies are already. You're going to have pharma weed. Moderna is going to make you know pharmaceutical drugs using you know cannabinoids. Right. So if that's what you're talking about, I'm saying that I think that'll represent 10 percent of the market, gotcha. um, <clears throat> you know, uh, in my lifetime. Um, so if you think that's one lane, I agree with you. If you think nutraceutical is one lane, which I'm going to call wellness. Right. I'm going to call me smoking my weed throughout the day as my wellness. It's not when people say recreational, they're thinking of like standing on a rooftop and partying, you know, to house music. Right. I'm actually going to go out on a limb and say that's the part of cannabis consumption that you'll see a decrease in over time. So I actually think, you know, in the near future, you're going to have wellness, right, use of cannabis, um, and you're going to have pharma, you know, medicine, uh, you know, fix my ailment or my disease, right, pharma, uh, uh, cannabis. I think this other lane that exists now where people think of it as fun right? Recreational cannabis, I see that dying. Um, as a stoner, as somebody who smokes weed, you know, as somebody that understands it, um, you know, we are becoming so much more accepting now so rapidly of drugs, if you look at our country, right? And if you see where psilocybin has gone from, you know, uh, fully stigmatized to legalized in such a short period of time. And we can talk about how, you know, that might or might not be on piggybacking on all the work that's been done for cannabis, right? But whether it's psilocybin or now you have the other psychedelics, right, that, you know, are coming along, like, if you want to just go have fun at the beach and see, you know, unicorns and stuff, like, I believe that in the near term, like, you'll have really amazing drugs that you'll be able to access in a legal, safe and tested, you know, manner that are going to be way better than weed for that, right? Like, I don't want to smoke weed. And I don't see unicorns when I smoke weed. It just, it just makes me a better person. It chills me out. It allows me to make better decisions without my ego getting in the way. It allows me to connect with people. It does all that, right? But that's not partying. So this concept of, you know, we have to do medical and then it's recreational or adult use. Like, I think that not too distant future, it's like, okay, adult use drugs, you know, Here's psilocybin as the baseline, and here's like, you know, ketamine and all this other stuff, you know, all the way out there. You guys want to go to the moon? You can go to the moon, right? You have wellness, which is cannabis is the wellness drug, right? And then you have pharma, and pharma will take advantage of all of it because there are pharmaceutical applications to all these drugs. So let's stop lying, right? Let's give these people access to these drugs, right, so that they can have everything at their disposal when it's time to treat me or my kids. Dig it. I mean, you see the records up on the wall. My entry to cannabis was like, oh my God, music sounds so much better. <laughs> is, I'll never turn back. This is amazing. But yeah, it's a, yeah. I, I think it's going to end up landing in that wellness area. And I mean, in an ideal world, you see it like we lose the stigma we accept it as just a, a natural part of society. The happy hour at the local bar won't necessarily be at the local bar. It'll be at a consumption bar or something. Like, is that the future that you're looking at? Uh, you know, I, I never know what it's going to look like next. I think what happens is like, I believe that there's this unlimited next and then I can stop and like check in along the way. You know, I have those moments now. Sometimes I, I've told, uh, I talk about this a lot, but I have those moments sometimes driving down the streets of LA and seeing uh, marijuana billboards, you know, and I pull over and it's like, wow. You know, I remember when we had, you know, California had legalized weed and MedMen, you know, was going to come out and say, hey, world, come into these weed stores. I'm going to show you the future. And, I, and, and we sat there in these meetings and said, we want to paint the town red. 
I want every billboard, every bus stop. I want everybody to know. And then marketing came back and said, uh, so the problem is nobody will take our money. Um, and so I can't buy you a billboard. Uh, and I've tried to pay this one guy five times more than he's asking. And he's just too scared to skid this of the city. Like, I remember that, you know, and then I remember the subsequent forget stoner campaign that we ran, you know, when you talked about, you know, the stigma leaving, right? That was so crazy that we were talking about it then, we're talking about it now. And I remember how much it cost us because of how many people we had to pay to get everything up and how much, you know, how the premiums and all the nonsense. And now I drive down the streets, like people are probably paying discounts for slapping up these you know, these billboards that have no thought to them because they didn't cost them much money. And it's like, your weed delivered to your door, xxwhatever.com. And I'm just like, fuck, man, you know? So you like, you get past it and you look at like, hey, those were the steps that, that it had to take to get to a place where it's just normal. So, well, you know, I think the next thing for me in destigmatizing weed, I've said for a long time, it's my mother-in-law having a, a vape pen in her purse. I think I've gotten there right in society's terms um you know the next place is it not being cool the minute it's not cool then it's just normal right it's edgy and cool because it's not normal because it's not mainstream i want it to go so far that it's no longer cool right i want to take out not this bong right but i want to just you know for you to not even notice the bong on my desk because it's just a smoking device because like you know i'm just somebody who does yoga and drinks a lot of water and doesn't eat meat and you know i consume cannabis throughout the day and you just know me as some healthy dude that you know tries to live his best life not oh did you see that bro do you think he thought about not bringing the bong out so people didn't think he smoked weed like whoa we're way too far away right like let's make it normal like, you don't think that this water cup is not normal, right? And when we can get there, then you have everybody having access to it. And that's all we should care about. It shouldn't be some cool thing just for us to know about. It should be something that everybody is just integrated into their lives so that they can benefit from it. And then, as I always say, it makes the world safer, healthier, and happier. Yeah, man. I love the passion you have for it. I think it's so great. The, the whole That's going to be a big step when it's no longer considered cool. Because I, mean, I look at my parents' generation, and so many of them, they might have smoked weed in college in the 70s or something, but then they had the professional lives. And now that it's come back into cultural mainstream, they're like, ooh, I get to do that again and still feel a little naughty and excited. And I mean, all the, all the years that I was growing, I had it was, it was a business, it was a livelihood, and it was also a part of my own personal advocacy for many of the things that you represent. And at the same time, there was a little bit of edginess to it, a little bit of excitement to it that really kept pushing me along. And I'd be lying if that wasn't a part of it. So it's going to be really fascinating to see how that happens. I'm looking at like Gen Z and just the, the amount of societal bullshit that they don't even think about anymore. Like so much of equity and equality is just a given to so many of these folks in this generation that hopefully when their grandparents were going to be able to see the that world maybe beforehand but my 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 when, when when uh when we're when we're smoking weed you know we're, we're sitting here in the balcony me and my wife um you know my my kids will will come in from the living room and they'll like slam the balcony door um, like to like to leave us out and be like, oh, it stinks of weed. Get your weed out of here, you know. <laughs> um, and so that's what I want, right? Yeah. Like that's what I want. When we get to that place, amazing, right? Yeah. Um, it's just something else that, like, you know, it's just part of you know what we have going on inside of our lives. Um, so, anyways, that to that future, buddy. To that yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. Cheers to that for sure. All right, changing lanes. So. Yeah. Um, you do a quick Google search on Adam Bierman, you get all sorts of shit coming up. I didn't want to dive into too many of those topics because you can read about it anywhere you want, find out anything. What I'm most curious about is so you had this epic rise and almost equally epic fall with MedMet. You're out of there, you're doing new stuff. What do you feel were some of the biggest lessons that you were able to take from all those experiences and carry you forward as? an entrepreneur, as a father, as a husband, as a man, whatever. Woo. Deep. 
<sighs> deep where where is the bomb that's the question <laughs> you told me you'd go anywhere so here we go man. <laughs> yeah no it's great man I, I i appreciate it let's if we're going to talk talk honestly um i mean the first thing is just looking back one of the things i learned is that everything you just said is bullshit right what 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 i, what I now understand you said as an entrepreneur as a father i'm thinking about all those roles right as an entrepreneur what you just said is all bullshit rise and almost as epic fall, which is your nice way you want to say epic rise and fall, just say it because that is the way in which it appears based on what you see when you read, you know, Rolling Stone hit pieces, right, um, that are written and it makes sense that they're written because that's what people want to read and oh, who cares, right? Like, but as an entrepreneur and as a man who's now turning 40 in two weeks, and hopefully I know more about the world today than when I was turning 30 10 years ago, um, you know, what I understand is there's no epic rise in that story. I mean, fuck, I started this when I was, you know, eight years old trying to figure out, you know, um, you know, how I was going to get access to the new cool clothes that I couldn't afford, you know, or when I was 17 years old trying to get into college to play baseball where I wasn't good enough to play baseball. And I had to figure out how to convince coaches to, you know, want to recruit me to play on their team. Like, there's no epic rise and fall. Like I started this with 13 grand and, and a bicycle. Um, and I was able to get to a place where I now support my family and I have enough, you know, financial stability that I don't have to worry about my kids or my wife ever being in that spot again. So where's the fall, you know? And as far as, you know, uh, uh, cannabis goes and the legalization goes, like the epic rise, like that's not an epic rise. Again, we're the tip of the spear for a blip in history, just like anybody else who's ever a tip is, um, that's not a rise, but it was epic. Fuck yeah, that was epic. Um, uh, and you, you acknowledge being at that tip for that short period of time was epic, but where's the fall, right? We're at the one yard line. Um, you know, when, when, when I remember when Andrew Modlin and I gave Rob Campia a million dollar check, it was one of these big prices, right checks. Um, and it was, we had a Christmas party in Las Vegas, uh, uh, I don't know, six years ago or something. I don't, sometime a while ago in marijuana years, 500 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, Time Magazine was there interviewing me and Rob in the back. And Andrew and I give him this million dollar prices rice check. You want to talk about hate? You know how much hate we got? Because the check was a million dollars from our fund to MPP, and the speech was, and if everybody in the industry doesn't give $100, what are you doing? If you're not going to invest in the permanent future of the industry and business you're in today, then get the fuck out. Um, you know, so like you go through, you remember, um, you know, but where is, where is the epic fall in that? There, now you have the biggest marijuana companies on the planet are all part of a lobbying organization in Washington, D.C., to which they donate millions of dollars a year. You know, I just read that Amazon donated, I, I think it was eight figures uh, 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 last year. Was it eight figures or was mid or high seven figures indirectly and directly to legalizing cannabis, right? Amazon doesn't test their workers for marijuana anymore, right? So, you know, yeah, it was me and Andrew giving them this million dollar check. You'd be like, that was the epic rise. Do you write million dollar checks to lobbying groups anymore? Well, not in 2022. No, I don't, right? But where's the fall? Now there's hundreds of millions of dollars being written to lobbying groups. So, you know, like the 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 cartoon, you know, or clickbait, you know, uh, high level, no depth outlook on the rise and fall. That's fine. That makes sense. It's a great movie. Um, that's awesome. But I look back on it and, you know, as a man, as a father um, and as a businessman to say life is long um, and all you can do every day is wake up and check yourself and figure out you know, what you don't like about yourself and what you didn't like about yourself when you went the night before to bed and what you're going to do about it. And then check yourself again when you go to bed that night and say, did you make progress? Right. And that's what life is. And, you know, you can check yourself in the, in all those boxes. You can do that as a father and as a husband um, and as a son uh, and as a businessman. And if, Every day you feel like you're making progress and on the days you fuck up, you're at least honest about it and you work double as hard the next day, then there's life. There's no rise and fall. Um, there's just this thing 
and you can either make the most out of it and enjoy it and suck it dry. Um, or you can just, you know, be a part of it and be part of its prey and it can eat you up and you can pretend like that stuff you read is real. Hell yeah. That was incredible. Thank you. Really, really, really. Thank you. There's beautiful lessons in there for everybody to hear. That's awesome. Uh, so, okay. So what are you up to? What, <laughs> what do you got going on now? What's, what's juicing you? How are you spending your time? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I'm still just as passionate as ever about um, continuing, you know, to, to push this agenda of, of opening people's eyes you know, to what this plant can do. Um, you know, I, I have launched my own social media, which sounds so stupid and such like an old person to me, but you know, I've never logged into Facebook or Twitter. Any, I've never done that ever in my life. Um, at MedMen, you know, people in the PR department might've had an account with my face on it, but I, I've never done it. Right. So, um, you know, I understand, you know, connecting with people on that level, um, I'm passionate about being honest and having these discussions. Like, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you more than I want to talk to the CNBC person that I talked to when I was the CEO of MedMen, because I can't have this conversation with them. And with, you know, the world we live in today and the power of the connectivity that we have access to today, it's more powerful for me to talk to you and have a real talk and let people find it than have people see something that has no depth at all. Um, and I'm passionate about that because in this honesty and what my experience has been better or worse in that honesty are lessons for myself and for all of us. Right. And if we're talking about moving this industry and movement forward, the more people understand how we got here, it's going to make it that much sweeter as we get to where we're going next. Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm working on all that. I, uh, uh, in my spare time, I, uh, I very, very, very passionately believe that NFTs are the future uh, of business. Um, and I believe that, uh, you know, the blockchain has gotten its fair share of understanding of its permanence in our future. But I think businesses, right, and industries um, have yet to even begin to understand how NFTs um, will be uh, uh, the permanent uh, way in which so much of those businesses operate um, forever going forward. Um, I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about connecting that to marijuana and I'm working on some projects in that regard. Yeah, so I heard you mention NFT loyalty programs for cannabis companies. I mean, I don't want you to give away your secret sauce or anything, but I'm really curious how that translates because, you know, I had a conversation just two nights ago with a friend of mine. She's like, oh, I was talking to this guy. He's really into this thing. I don't, digital art. It sounds so stupid. And she's a painter. So she's like, this sounds ridiculous. I was like, no, no, no. There's a lot of interesting applications. So I'd love to hear what, what your thoughts are moving this into cannabis. So we got to wait like two months and then I, I will talk about it more because <laughs> cool. it's the project okay. I'm actually working on, but you know, it's about, it's just about what's next. You know, like I'm, I, I was excited to be the guy that was in the seat that, you know, when it was, when cannabis, you know, was ready for what was next. And I got to play that role, but you know, part of why I got to play that role is because ingrained in me is the person passionate about what's next. Right. Um, and, 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 and okay, you know, if I'm wrong, you know, um, or I have to be wrong in order to eventually be right. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe very much in these NFTs as being what's next and what I'll say about them, not specific to my project is, you know, the metaverse is something that I think, you know, is so esoteric for 99% of us today. Um, I think that, you know, that will flip to something that, you know, we understand and then all uh, then eventually it's something that is intuitive, right? And that shift, I believe, will happen pretty rapidly. But today, the metaverse is something that, you know, you can go have a conversation with somebody who says they're an expert about it, and you better have more than just my bong, right? Um, <laughs> most of the time, right? Which is fine. And that's awesome. And that's what it takes to start something, right? When I was jumping up and down saying, hey, future of legal weed, corporate this, like I was as crazy as the people going, oh, yeah, future of business is NFT. That's fine, right? Um, so the metaverse is there. But what the NFTs what NFTs allow you to do, right, is allows you to take advantage of what will be the future, right? 
more automation, more efficiency, less human error, right? Um, less total time spent, more certainty, right? Because of what these smart contracts allow you to do, right? Just to make it as simple as possible, not using marijuana. If I buy a ticket on American Airlines, and I'm, again, I'm old, I age myself. So let's say the old me buys a ticket. I have to call American Airlines to buy the ticket. Um, or let's say on, online, I, I book the ticket. And let's say um, I can't, I don't make my flight. What happens? Am I calling somebody? Am I emailing somebody? How much does that person on the other line cost? How much did my ticket cost? Is it worth me following up? Who's following up? What are the rules for following up? And am I going to get my money back? Are they going to do me a favor? Just think about all of that. Now think about what NFTs allow you to do through smart contracts. I can buy that ticket through an NFT. And that NFT can have a contract attached to it. And it says if the, if the plane doesn't leave on time or within 10 minutes of when it says, get my money back. And if I do not arrive and I don't show that NFT to the agent at the gate within an hour and a half before my flight, I lose my seat. It's all in the contract. There's nobody to talk to. There's no question of whether it's worth chasing my money or checking my bank account to see if it's there. Like we're all agreeing that there is a cryptocurrency future, right? Um, but that future is a future where all of this becomes efficient. So you know, yeah, there's this metaverse and people are talking about dispensaries in the metaverse and smoke sessions with artists. All that is amazing and exciting. But the first thing is, how do you make your interaction at that dispensary when you're buying your cannabis, right? How do you make that interaction more seamless? How do you make it more efficient? How do you make it more consumer friendly or fun? Um, and, you know, NFTs allow you to do that. They allow you to do it with any business. Um, so, yeah, way more to come on that. Very cool. Very cool. I'll look forward to more on that for sure. And maybe some offline conversations moving that forward too. Um, so I'm going to wrap it up. I got to learn a lot. Got to hear some stories. I, I wish I had some more stories. We had some more time. Um, I know that you've been working with Coastal that just got um, acquired by the parent company. So there's got to be some cool Jay-Z stories in there somewhere, I'm assuming. Um, but I, I want to be conscious of time. I have to get going myself. But I want to wrap it around to something I asked you about in the forum to fill out and bring it back to wellness and your, your morning routine. Like, what kind of things do you use in order to make sure that you can show up for the world in the best way possible? Wow. Um, let's see. This morning, I woke up at around 4.30 in the morning. Um, I drank a significant amount of water. Um, I lit a candle, I turned the heater on to 90 degrees in this little gym that I have in my, in my house. Um, and I did a version of meditation and yoga for about an hour. And then I drank a significant amount of more water. I showered and then I gave myself the space to take a breath and be ready to, um, to join my family when they woke up. And by being ready to be present when they woke up and not have the clutter in my head of work, um, which I also get all that out of the way when I wake up, anything lingering from last night, or even my body not feeling ready, right? I, I'm ready for the day. Um, and then, you know, I get to spend that quality time with them. And once the kids went to school, right, I got to sit down and actually then be present for work. So I think, I think it's really about, you know, how I've learned and everybody has their own way, but how I've learned to give my, put myself in balance to be ready to accept whatever it is that I'm entering into next. And even if it feels like you're taking a lot of time to do that, I've learned that that's time better spent, even if it cuts into the time you're spent doing the thing itself, if it makes doing the thing itself that much sweeter. Was that Abe Lincoln quote? You're going to tell me to chop down a tree and spend five hours sharpening my axe or whatever. It That's is. pretty good. I haven't heard that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Beautiful. Adam, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for all the shit that you went through in order to help push this industry forward. And I'm really excited about all the things that you're going to be doing from here on out to keep everything moving forward. So Awesome, man. Awesome. And thank you for your part. And I appreciate what you do. And I'm glad this went as well as it did. And I look forward to uh, doing it again. 
Thank you, Adam, once again for being on the show. It was such an honor to be able to interview you and to be able to hear everything that you wanted to share and were able to share and how you were just such a pioneer for this industry and the the arrows that you took by being the first one up the hill. There's no way that we who work within this industry can never thank you enough for what you did to push it forward. It's truly a blessing to be able to get to know you a little bit and hear some of your stories, and I really hope that there's another chance that we get to do it again. Shout out to my boy Joseph Reese for bringing him on the show. Joe, you are a gem, and I appreciate you beyond words. And for all of my listeners out there, thank you for your patience with me. I am so grateful to be back delivering you this incredible content, giving you access to these amazing individuals that are truly innovators and pioneers within the medical cannabis industry. If you have anything that you'd like to say, want to let me know how I'm doing, want to give me uh, suggestions for guests, you can reach me, Matthew, at edgeofcannabismedicine.com. And don't forget to go and check out the socials. You got cool little snippets from this episode over on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, you'll be able to find it wherever you want. And until next time, my friends, please stay healthy and enjoy yourselves. <laughs>